0: Welcome to this edition of Rail Group On Air. This is the podcast series sponsored by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is William C. Antuono. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. This is uh, part one of a two-part series with the Rail Electrification Council, which is an affiliate of the National Electric Manufacturers uh, Association, NEMA. And uh, we're here today uh, in part one and also in part two to, uh, to talk about uh, electrification, which, um, you know, you find it in the Northeast Corridor, uh, you find a little bit of it uh, in, um, in Chicago, Boston, and we're talking uh, really about ele- uh, overhead, catenary. You know, what are the benefits? What are the, the, the possibilities? You know, is this, is this a viable technology for the, for the railway industry? With me are uh, Jim Hecker, and uh, he is in, uh, an attorney, an administrator, a civic leader, and a, uh, a historian. He's a veteran energy advocate, public policymaker, author and speaker, and organizational innovator. His 40-year career is dedicated to helping industry and policymakers achieve commercial success consistent with timely and responsible business innovation. Currently, he's senior counsel and energy strategist at um, uh, Hush Blackwell LLP and uh, principal of Hecker Energy Law and Policy PLLC. And Jim is joined by Steve Griffith and he is executive director, transportation systems and cybersecurity at NEMA. He manages sections within this division in such areas as intelligent transportation systems, electric vehicle supply equipment, rail electrification, automotive components, and Imaging and Communications. He's also the Principal NEMA Staff Liaison for NEMA's Cybersecurity and Co-Lead for NEMA's Energy Transition Campaign. Uh, He has more than 25 years experience in program and project management, including uh, PMP certification, and uh, he has managed projects for uh, various Department of Defense facilities and the TSA which were uh, which we're all familiar with uh, in airline travel so uh, Steve and, and Jim welcome let's get started with uh, uh, describe to me the the rail electrification council what what is the purpose of, of this group and uh, what is who are you intending to uh, to serve your overall mission your objectives
1: yeah and I'll happy to start and Jim can chime in so I think you hit it a little bit. We know there's a trend. It's it's electrifying is happening across all the transportation. And there's implications in it for railroads and the electric power business. Um, It's happening in in the EV space. I mean, there's technologies that are existing like charging systems, uh, smart metering uh, with vehicle electrification. You've got batteries. You've got battery management system, um, vehicle-to-grid capabilities like energy management software, other components that link into load shifting, demand reduction, uh, grid programs. There's trends, I think, uh, common in both the transportation and the energy industry. Um, There's public policy occurring. There's major legislation that we'll talk about. And and to agree, these are both kind of somewhat regulated. So we want to bring railroads into this conversation to this discussion. I think it's time for them to be part of this broader discussion electrification, so we kind of launched the council and, 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 and plowed forward with our objectives.
2: Bill, I'm sure you recognize that these are two critical infrastructure industries, uh, big networks uh, that the economy depends on um, mightily. And um, you probably also recognize that they seldom talk to each other. The future, in our view, is electric. And we're trying to figure out what that means for uh, railroad transportation, both both freight and passenger. In, in this discussion, there are a couple of concepts that, that keep coming up. One is sustainability. Being uh, sustainable uh, is both an economic concept. Railroads want to be sustainable, want to maintain their financial uh, security and their financial edge. They want to be performance-oriented, and um, uh, they should also be environmentally um, sustainable from a, from the standpoint of attracting investment, from the standpoint of participating in a very uh, dynamic uh, policy environment, as Steve says, with with uh, electrification happening across the economy, railroads have to be um, nimble, have to be open to new ideas, and um, look at the future in some different ways climate change is uh, a concern everywhere in um, in industry and uh, uh, transportation is no different than the electric utility industry which has gotten um, gotten itself uh, uh, in a in a bad position with co2 emissions over the last 20 30 years uh, and is now having to move away from fossil fuel towards a more decarbonized um, energy production uh, scenario. We've got two industries that are looking at a changing environment and some public policy concerns that are going to affect them both as regulated industries and just as participants uh, in the market. The overarching, I think, concern, at least in my view, is climate it's going to drive everything else over the next 20 or 30 years. As the UN Secretary General recently said, we're on the highway to climate hell and our foot is on the accelerator. A lot of this discussion is about trying to adapt to a different energy production energy distribution, and transportation environment.
0: So it seems to me that the Rail Electrification Council is unique uh, in the sense that you really, you seem to be the only organization that is focused on electrification of railways in North America. We know it's it's pretty much the standard um, in other countries, Europe mainly. Uh, almost the entire grid of the entire network is, is electrified. Uh, China too uh everywhere you go but but here you know we spent more time tearing up wire (laughs) um the only yeah you know the the only project i can think of a a major electrification project was the extension of the the catenary on the northeast corridor from uh new haven connecticut uh to to boston but that's about it and that was almost 30 years ago
2: right well we know that uh
0: and caltrain i'm leaving out caltrain now that that is new okay
2: well and and uh, High-speed rail plans in California are are part of that. Uh, the plans that Amtrak is gr- unveiling in response to. Uh, the recent infrastructure legislation may augur for electrification of some of its non-northeast routes. Uh, and there is an example in the Midwest. I like to use a uh, little project called the Sioux Green HVDC project, uh, which brings renewable energy from western Iowa into the uh, Illinois Markets Center and into the PJM interconnection. That project is going to be co-located on four different railways the advantages of that are something that we've we've noted our objective is first to encourage railroads including the class ones, to begin to look down the road and think about what the environment's gonna require in 2040, 2050, and how it would be possible to perhaps incrementally and certainly carefully move towards electrification. Secondly, how they can participate in the electrification of uh, of the economy today and the move towards more clean energy. Access to wind and solar power, which tends to be located uh, where there are very few customers. If you look at a map and look at the railroad network and look at where the electricity load centers are relative to renewable energy resources, it certainly is worth thinking about how railroad rights of way could be instrumental in moving the transmission grid forward. It's a major focal point of a, a federal and state policy.
1: So I think that to Jim's point, that we kind of makes us unique is we provide that forum where the railroads and the utilities can come together and talk about these issues, right, and talk about how they can partner and collaborate on, you know, working with the the, the grid, understanding all the the, the nuances with the climate change and policy and uh, ESG and, and partnering on these issues, right? So uh, you, Jim mentioned Sue Green, which is an example in that case, right? We, we want to be that bridge between those two inter- those two industries and get them to start communicating and talking about this in and, and, and a very neutral form to have an objective uh, conversation in a, in a very non-threatening manner.
0: The broader electric grid is is moving away from fossil fuels. How will this transition away from fossil fuels? Go, how could it possibly affect the railroads? And follow on with that is, what's the effect of, uh, of electrification on, on the railroads?
1: Well, I think... To the point we recognize the transportation sector is the single largest user of non-electrical engine energy i think it's like 25 percent of total u.s energy use as as this becomes increasingly electrified you're looking at probably 70 gigawatts of new electricity demand by 2030 and and 130 gigawatts more by 2050. Um, this is going to cause more renewable energy and a, and I think a decline in fossil fuels, you're starting to see that the price of fossil fuel versus the price of renewables is they're, they're cost competitive and, and declining. I think as you as you start to look at electrification in, in like the trucking, it becomes a little bit more competitive. We recognize that passenger rails a little bit different story that, that's ahead, but as 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 the transportation becomes electrified, it's going to drive efficiencies for the railroads to kind of be in this, in these discussions.
2: First of all, uh, uh, electrification is a trend happening in a number of segments of the economy. Uh, in manufacturing, uh, in heating, as well as transportation, it's going to be um, uh, necessary for the grid to be able to accommodate 70 gigawatts of new electricity demand in just uh, seven years, uh, and up to 130 gigawatts more by 2050. So. The, the impetus uh, for building more transmission is pretty great. Add to that the increasing consumer demand for renewable energy. Public policies mandate that we move to zero emission kinds of fuels. All of that is going to impact the uh, railroads eventually. Certainly, uh, public policy associated with those trends is going to be important for transportation companies to, to think about. As Steve mentioned, uh, competition from electrified highway transportation is going to be important. Others, including uh, Chairman Oberman at the STB, have mentioned that railroads have been losing a market share to highway transportation since 2002. They will become much more efficient and less expensive as they electrify. That's a competitor that the railroads can't ignore. We understand that the railroads have very large sunk costs, safety, and communications concerns. It's not like electrification for them is like flipping a switch. There are lots to consider, and of course, the costs of electrification are going to be substantial. That said, the efficiencies eventually to be gained by electrification could be substantial as well, more efficient use of energy by electric locomotives, for example, is something that we all appreciate.
0: What do you think might be ho- holding the uh, the industry back?
2: We've seen this work for a couple of generations in the 20th century. And, uh, you know, recall the, Mar- the Milwaukee Road. We went back and took a look at what government and industry were talking about in the 1970s. Um, And reports by EEI, the Edison Electric Institute, and the Department of Transportation all say things like electrification of mainline railroads offers many advantages and should be vigorously pursued. That was 1970, and uh, not much has happened since then. It's interesting that the Staggers Act uh, would free the railroads to be much more agile and creative for their services to improve and their rates to go down. It appears to me that there's a, a considerable amount of inertia. The prospect of those enormous upfront costs, uh, which could amount to hundreds of billions of dollars to install cantonary or to develop battery locomotives or uh, certainly something as long-term as hydrogen, that is something that I feel they are reluctant to do for fear of, of undermining their rates of return. This is a strategic question. How to approach this is electrification not only an alternative now, but it's just something we want to aim for in the future and develop incrementally.
0: Widespread electrification uh, in Europe uh, and 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 the Far East. Are there lessons to be learned?
1: There are some lessons to be learned for how the foreign countries did it. Now, granted, of course, some of their governments have huge carbon policies and carbon tax reductions which we don't have quite yet in the US. I know Canada's a little bit different, so the government kind of had a little bit of of a say there. Another thing that possibly is maybe worth exploring is the idea of tax incentives to get the railroads to electrify.
0: Well, one idea that had been floated uh, a number of years ago by BNSF was to use the Transcon, you know, the Chicago-Los Angeles mainline, as a, uh, a carrier for the power grid. The, it would be wind turbines that would be built in the Rocky Mountains, and uh, the wind turbines would generate a tremendous amount of power, but you got to get that power transmitted somehow. So. So you, uh, you build a transmission system along uh, the strategic areas in the tra- on the transcon in exchange for the uh, BNSF providing the, the, um, the footprint, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that could tap off that power. And, uh, and build catenary and, and run, um, run freight frank- with, with, with electric locomotives. It was talked about. It was investigated. Um, I remember having a discussion with Matt Rose uh, a number of years ago about that, but it just didn't go anywhere for, for whatever reason. You
2: know, we've had some good conversations with them. We'll see what happens about that, but that fundamental plan is worth resurrecting. Uh, I think that the renewables you allude to in the middle of the country are much more cost competitive now. There's much bigger public policy drivers on both coasts asking for that renewable energy, partly because it's so cheap and partly because it's it's cleaner and it meets the expectations of California, New York, and in the Midwest as well. The question is whether the cost profile of a project like that or a series of projects like that would be different now than it was then. It might be. We think that that is certainly worth considering and talking about.
0: The uh, Federal Energy Regulatory uh, Commission, uh, what uh, sort of role do they have in uh, planning and siting electric transmission lines and the the national grid?
2: Well, this is one indicator of how things are changing. The FERC, which I had the pleasure of uh, chairing years ago was a uh, a rate regulator, kind of like the STB, but it didn't have a role in actually citing transmission. Now it does. Uh, the Congress has given it backstop citing authority. If states can't approve a transmission line or it's a multi-state or states don't have authority to review a transmission line proposal, they will address uh electric transmission projects, essentially uh, the same way they do natural gas and oil pipelines. They do the environmental review, to decide where it's going to be located, and they work with state and federal agencies to cite the project. We think that um, that could be a very important role. The best thing, though, about citing these projects on railroad rights-of-way is that it involves especially if it's an underground hvdc project it's simpler site there's less environmental uh, overhang. a uh, Routing and permitting doesn't result in years of regulatory processes. A uh, Railroad rights-of-way can shorten that up enormously. It lowers the cost of land acquisition. If it's underground, it eliminates visual or aesthetic pollution in some people's eyes. It's really quite a win-win all the way around. And it's a potential source of revenue for railroads. Remember those rights-of-way with the exception of uh, fiber optics here and there, are a large underutilized asset.
0: Are there any current policies or funding that can uh, encourage the railroads to to electrify?
1: There's obviously two notable ones. There's the bipartisan infrastructure law, which a lot of that money was targeted towards Amtrak and to upgrade and, and maintain that corridor. But there's also there's money set aside for the consolidated rail infrastructure and safety improvement programs that leverage um, safety enhancements. There's the railroad cross elimination program. There's also, um, I think, some some money set aside for restoration to fund uh, inner city rail transportation. Another one, it's a pretty landmark legislation, is the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed last year, which provides about $4 billion in funding to for clean energy. And the, when the majority of that is in the form of tax credits, but without a stronger grid, um, to get back to that issue of renewable resources, because the grid's congested, this is where rail comes into into play. And finally, the, the, the DOE has got a loan program, program office. It's an advanced technology vehicles manufacturing, where it's got funding set aside to provide low-cost uh, debt capital for fuel-efficient vehicle manufacturing. And, and rail is actually... An option there we actually had a representative from the office at our last meeting talking about programs for rail there was one that was i think zero emission rail one that was for repowering diesel and locomotives one that was for freight cars with installed batteries i mean so there is there is funding out there
0: jim hecker and uh steve griffith thanks for for joining us and uh uh we will pick this up in the very near future with uh, part two of uh with the rail electrification council and as you said we'll get more into the, um, the maybe some hard numbers on costs and things like that thanks for joining us and have a have a safe day